Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, he's so soft. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. Thank you for joining me on this off day. I had to reschedule yesterday's uh, program for today. Typically, we do air on Wednesdays, so I hope we have uh, still some participants uh, this evening because uh, it's not our typical day. But anybody who is with us, I do thank you very much for joining us. Just letting you know, uh, my producer is opening up the chat room as we speak. We were having some technical difficulties that hopefully um, shouldn't be an issue. Kind of set us back a little bit, but the chat room is open, so please feel free to uh, join our live chat. A uh, very interesting topic tonight. Um, it, you know, typically we're talking about my expertise, which is uh, companion animals, namely uh, 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 dogs and cats. And you know, we're making a little bit of a uh, sort of a I don't want to say a change, but we're 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 doing a little bit of a different kind of off-topic uh, animal uh, discussion today because uh, we're talking about chickens, <laughs> and uh, I don't practice chicken medicine. I don't ever plan to practice chicken medicine. Um, in fact, I was never really comfortable with chicken medicine. But they are animals, and they they need to be uh, considered when we're having any discussion about. Uh, animal welfare. Now, you know, the, the the main paradigm in veterinary medicine, most of us fall under that sort of category of animal welfare, where we're not a rights, animal rights-based perspective, where, you know, we want to abolish all, you know, food animals and um, have everybody become vegetarians, all that sort of thing. That's a rights-based perspective. And, and you know, some, some of the folks that are on the animal rights side they they do a lot of good stuff. I mean, uh, I'm not really a fan of fur, uh, you know, and they, they have these anti-fur campaigns. They do a lot of exposés uh, where animal abuse is involved. Everybody, Most people are familiar with the Kentucky Fried Cruelty story that came out as a result of these rights-based people. So I, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just pretty much stating the fact that as a, as a veterinary profession, generally, we're more interested in a rights-based, or I'm sorry, a welfare-based philosophy where we are going to accept the fact that there are animals for food consumption, but what we want to do is optimize the humanity involved with that. We want to treat them humanely. We want to uh, ease any discomfort or suffering they might have as a result of being, uh, you know, part of our, our food consumption. And uh, one, one of the big things that we're, we've been seeing in the last few years, and I'm seeing more of it every day, is cage-free eggs. So, you know what exactly are cage-free eggs? Let's uh, let's just kind of get get into that a little bit. Let's let's compare regular eggs versus care-free. I'm sorry, cage-free eggs. And really quickly, I just want to go ahead and uh, remind everybody that this is a call-in show, and our number is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. You may call me toll-free anytime if you have a question, concern, comment, anything. This is uh, the show is a lot more fun when we have participants. Also, like I mentioned, the chat room is open, 
and uh, you can post uh, chat questions or comments or concerns that I'll address if they're tasteful uh, live on the air here. So uh, two means that you can you can reach us there. Uh, there's also an email that you can email me pre-show questions for our archive listeners that catch the show later on at their convenience. And the archive uh, email is comments at web-dvm.net. And uh, we have uh, four of those this evening. So um uh, been a very popular modality by which uh, listeners have been uh, participating in the show. So uh, th- those are our uh, communication modalities, and uh, feel free to contact me by any of those three. But let's get into egg production. So regular eggs, before we get into cage-free eggs, regular eggs come from hens that are egg layers. They are fed, uh, and they are you know kept as healthy as possible. There are veterinarians that look after these birds, but they live all their lives in cages. Um, the cages are set up, generally speaking, six birds to a cage and the amount of room they're allotted uh, per bird when you break it down uh, is eight inches by eight inches per bird so that's uh, 64 square inches Uh, and you're talking about uh, an animal that is probably about that size you know you're you know uh, when you when you look at the width and the length of, of a chicken you're talking you know about eight inches by eight inches when you when you break down the dimensions so uh, in the end, we're talking not much space. Uh, these are very confined uh, situations. Uh, there, there, there is sometimes some clashing that goes on because of the confined quarters. There is some bone degeneration that happens in some of these hens. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a happy way to live. And uh, you know they live quite a long time. Many of them just you know eating and producing eggs, eating, producing eggs, producing eggs, eating, eating, producing eggs, and of course. I love eggs. I have omelets all the time. I have an egg and cheese sandwich on a bagel just about every morning. And, uh, you know, it, it's a staple food. It's a great nutrition source. It's great for children with all the B-complex vitamins and everything that comes in the egg. Uh, but, but uh, unfortunately, it is a little bit tragic the way these birds live. So in the last decade or so, what we've seen is the advent of cage-free eggs, which are laid by hens that are not confined in cages. They actually are free to roam. Now, of course, the the area they roam in is not gigantic. It's not endless, but it's certainly much better than an eight by eight space or eight inch by eight inch space within a cage. Um, and the bottom line is that you get to enjoy your eggs without the stigma of knowing that they've come from some poor, miserable bird that is cooped up in this tiny space uh, for its entire life while it's producing eggs for us to consume. And <clears throat> I see I see it becoming increasingly popular uh, because when I go to the local food store, they weren't always there. I, I always purchased them if I, if I saw them. Uh, you know, what, what I found was sometimes they were there, sometimes they weren't. I think it was based on a supply and demand. But, but what we're seeing is that I, I always have a nice supply of uh, cage-free eggs that I can purchase. In fact, uh, it takes up a much greater area in the shelving there. And probably because of law of supply and demand, the the public's uh, supermarket that I go to uh, understands that there's an increasing demand for it, so they're going to stock more of it. So I often never find, I, I would say, I can't think of a time in the past few years where I've been uh, at the supermarket and I've been, been able to choose uh, cage-free eggs for uh for my family and and you know the the interesting thing is that the the stress of an animal it uh it very much impacts 
the result of the meat and the food that comes from them. So <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize this. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the egg, for example, um, a stressed animal is going to release stress hormones. So the stress hormones would be cortisol, would be epinephrine, norepinephrine, and there's going to be less serotonin in these birds that are that are cooped up and stressed. They're not as happy. Um, and as a result, that does affect the quality of the food. In comparison, when you have these cage-free eggs where you have happier birds, you have social birds that are able to interact, move around, get exercise, yet still do what we need them to do, which is lay eggs, which is something they naturally do anyway, you have more serotonin. Serotonin is the, the happy neurotransmitter. It's, in, it's involved in times of contentment, times of um, you, know, you just had a big meal and you're satiated so uh, or you're happy or you're laughing, you're doing something you enjoy, there's going to be higher levels of serotonin. Where We talk about antidepressants, for example. Um, the, the main goal of antidepressants in the end is to increase the serotonin in the brain, which generally should make us happier, less panicky people. Um, animals have these same neurotransmitters. So when we have a happier bird, we have higher serotonin, we have lower cortisol, and it does affect the food because you have less free radical formation. You generally see bigger eggs. You see eggs that, to me at least, I will venture to say they taste better. I will venture to also say they're, they're more nutritious. There's numerous studies out there that actually prove that we have a, a better nutrition breakdown in eggs that are produced from non-stressed hens. Um, and, and so we're, we're not just talking that you know it's a, it's a more humane situation for the hens, uh, and, and hens are female chickens, by the way, but we're also talking about you know, a food source that's actually going to be healthier for you. So so why isn't everybody buying cage-free eggs? I mean, if they're there, why why wouldn't everybody do it? Well, one thing is the cost. So let's let's break it down here and let's talk about the cost of cage-free eggs versus regular eggs. The average cost of a dozen cage-free eggs is $2.78. When you compare that to the average cost of non, you know, re regular cage raised birds, uh, eggs from that source, you're talking about a dozen of those going at about a dollar 31 per dozen. So, the cage-free eggs are uh, probably uh, they fall just slightly over double the cost. Um and of course, with people with tight budgets, especially these days, they see the cage-free eggs as maybe not necessarily the way they're going to go. Um, and, and that's why I think that's one reason not everybody is buying cage-free eggs. And uh, but they're 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 out there. They're available. I think they're in just about every every supermarket. And the reason I'm having this conversation tonight is because I very much want to to raise awareness and let people know there's actually a lot of folks that when they're shopping for their eggs, they've been buying the same kind and the same brands, and not all brands are going to make, you know, pr provide cage-free eggs. They just don't bother to look, so they don't know. And I'll bet you if more people knew that they could they could consume eggs um, with, with, with a, a lot more humanity involved and a lot less stress to these birds, happier birds, I think that you, you'd find that a lot more people would actually be purchasing them. Um, and and because most of us are nice people, we want to do nice things for animals. We understand that, you know, that, that they are a food source. We are at the top of the food chain. I, I'm I, I have great respect for vegetarians. Um, I'm not one myself. I tried it once for six months when I was in vet school, and it is difficult. And I lost weight, and it just 
and, and I didn't lose weight in a good way. I lost muscle weight, um, and, and it just didn't work out for me. And, and I'm I'm not anti-vegetarian. At the same time, though, I, um, I I do take a little issue with with vegetarians, animal rights-based people that that really lay on the guilt very heavy. I mean, in the end, we are omnivores. We are meant to eat both meat sources and vegetable sources. Um, and 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 I think that's a lot of pressure to put on people to necessarily be advocating for vegetarianism so that we don't kill any animals but but I what I am a strong advocate for is we can if we can lessen some of the tragedy involved with uh the discomfort of these birds I say by all means go for it so let's let's talk about uh over the course of a year what what the impact of cost is for cage free eggs the average uh human family consumes one uh carton of eggs per week so if you figure the average um the average increase if you're going from regular eggs to cage-free eggs is $76.44 per year. 76 bucks per year to be doing what I think is the right thing. Um, when, when you really put it into that perspective, over the course of an entire year, if you're spending $76 more on your food bill, um, for the vast majority of you know, middle-class Americans, that's not going to be a, a big problem. I can understand if you're on food stamps and you're poor um, – you know that's going to be difficult that that certainly could potentially put a strain on uh the the home budget but hey you know you're most middle class people uh both upper and lower middle class working class people really a seventy six dollar increase especially if you can make other changes in the budget to make up for the cage free eggs um you know that that's not too big of a stretch to be doing a more humane thing and the more of us that get on board and start purchasing cage free eggs the more that they're going to be produced, the more that uh, it's going to be economically sensible for farmers to sort of, you know, switch over to that paradigm. Um, and, I, and I think it's something that, that many people should consider. Now, I'd like to get to my first email question tonight because there is nobody on the queue. Just want to remind you that we are indeed uh, live and uh, we are accepting phone calls and our toll-free number is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. but no one on the queue at the moment. So we're going to go ahead and... Uh, talk about uh, uh, an email uh, about this topic that I received from a gentleman named Greg, and uh, I, I'm not surprised about this email, to, to be honest with you. But let, let's let's uh, read it to you, and, and you know you can form your own opinions about it. And I'm going to discuss it a little bit. This is Greg from Palm Bay, Florida, local listener, and he wrote this. I enjoyed your podcast for many months, Doc. Enjoyed past tense. <laughs> I thought you made great points and covered relevant topics dot 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 until now exclamation point. You never before struck me as some tree hugger that advocates for nonsense like this. Passing legislation that would require farmers to provide cage free eggs would jack up production costs that would make a staple food product for many Americans unaffordable for the average family while putting farmers out of business. Can the tree cut? Can the tree hugger crap? And I just may listen to you again. Pretty harsh email there from Greg, and and I'm not surprised about this because, for some reason, this could be a very touchy topic for some people. I, I think for a lot of folks, when we try to introduce uh, measures that can make the, the the whole food animal situation more humane uh, for the animals, you, you get this backlash for some reason that really upsets people. So let's let's first address the tree hugger comments. Um, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a tree hugger. I, uh, I am very environmentally conscious. I have two hybrids. My wife drives a hybrid Escape, and I drive a hybrid Ford Fusion. And I'm very proud of the fact that we drive hybrids. And I bet you, um, 
you know, my my gas bills are a lot more friendly to me than yours are. I don't really feel the economic impact of the latest uh, jack up in gas prices, and it, it you know it, it makes me feel a little smug about it uh, because of all the people that make fun of me because I have I drive hybrid vehicles, but I am environmentally conscious. I do believe in uh, global warming. I want to lessen the impact of of carbon in our atmosphere, and uh, if that makes me some kind of wimpy tree hugger, then so be it. I, I you know I I don't I don't see anything wrong with uh, trying to impact my environment as mentally or negatively impact my environment as minimally as possible. The other thing too is I, I'm compassionate towards animals. I'm a veterinarian. That's what my job is. My job is to better the lives of animals, to be an advocate for animal welfare. And I don't see why this would make somebody so angry. I also see don't see why being compassionate towards animals uh, is something that uh, it makes me some kind of wussy either. You know, I'm environmentally conscious and I, I care about animals. I want to, uh, you know, be an advocate for the environment and for the, the welfare of animals. Why that makes me some kind of wuss, I don't know. You know, I grew up in the state of New Jersey, fairly tough place to grow up. Uh, you, you know, uh, generally speaking, wimps don't thrive very well in New Jersey. It's you know, tough place to grow up. You make it there, you make it anywhere kind of thing. I played uh, the sport of lacrosse all my life, which I don't know, uh, for those of you who uh, who know the game will know it's a it's a fairly aggressive, rough uh, sport. And I you know, played that all my life through college even, was cap- co-captain of my uh, college lacrosse team and an all-conference player. So, you know, but I, I guess I'm a, the biggest wimp on the planet because I, I think cage-free eggs is a good idea. I, I, I just don't understand this. I, I think that for some people, and I think Greg may be one of them, um, they, they, they feel this need to just completely separate food animals um, in terms of considering them animals, living, feeling, breathing beings. They, they need to kind of put them into their own little category in their minds to, to just kind of take away any guilt they may feel um, over the fact that we use them as food. Um, and, and just completely consider them differently uh, from w- what we consider as our companion pets, our horses, our our dogs, our cats, uh, for example, and, and of course many many people who enjoy exotic birds. So, for some folks, when 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 you're talking about stuff like this, um, and this is my own theory, I, I think that it, un- it it brings to the forefront of their minds whether they're realizing it or not that. Wow, you know these eggs I'm consuming are coming from a live, breathing animal. Uh, maybe not quite as intelligent as my dog, uh, but certainly something that has feelings, something that can feel stress, feel pain, um, something that could uh, definitely experience stress of confinement. Um, and it makes it a little bit real for them, and it makes them angry because they don't want to go there. Uh, if Greg's been listening to this show, then obviously he's probably a fan of dogs or cats or both. Um, you know, pro- probably uh, even maybe somebody who advocates for the the welfare of dogs. Maybe maybe he rescues dogs. I don't know. Um, but if you're listening to this show, you're probably into animals to some degree. Yet this topic angers him a great deal, and I think it just threatens the fact that it makes him think about these animals that we consume and use as food. I, th- I think it really just. Um, makes it reality to him and it angers him that we do that to him. So, Greg, I appreciate the comment. Um, I'm not going to change who and what I am. I'm going to talk about issues like this from time to time. And uh, if that makes you not listen, got to be true to myself, brother. I'm sorry. Um, I do thank you for the comment, though. I, we're here to hear all points of view, whether we may agree with them or not. Uh, while while we're on the emails, let's just go ahead and continue with them, because I think I've said pretty much everything I need to say about uh, cage-free eggs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
I really do believe that I think it's the direction our country should go in. Oh, one other thing. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention the part of Greg's email where he said passing legislation that would require farmers to provide cage-free eggs would jack up production costs that would make a staple food product unaffordable for the average family while putting farmers out of business. That part, I'm sorry, I forgot to address. Let me just get to that very quickly. Um, Nobody's talking about legislation here, Greg. And for anybody else listening that may feel the way Greg does, we're not talking about legislation. Um, I think down the road that could be something that gets considered uh, if there if there can be ways that we can control those costs and keep those costs at hand. Um, I I think it's something that uh, may not be a bad thing. However, I'm not advocating for that right now. Change like this, change for the better, but big change that involves pretty much everybody. It happens slowly in this country. Um, no, nothing happens fast because it, it's just it, the, the entire mindset has to change. And first of all, you have to have the awareness, and then little by little you have to see have people caring enough to do it. And I bet you there are a number of people that will know that there's cage-free eggs out there, and even if they cost the same as regular eggs, they would still buy the regular eggs just because they just don't give a damn about the birds. And, and you know that there's a lot of folks out there that just don't give a crap about animals, and and um, not not the people I'm going to hang out with, not the people that I'm going to associate with. But there there are a lot of people that uh, that just don't like animals. I saw a bumper sticker the other day on a big old you know uh, pickup truck, big good old boy pickup truck, and uh, and the, and the bumper sticker said. I love manatees, and then in smaller writing, with mashed taters and gravy, right? So so this guy basically, you know, in Florida, we're very protective of our manatees. There's big laws against, uh, uh, you know, touching them or messing with them. There There is a lot of conservation efforts out there to try to protect the manatee populations. Manatee, no wake signs all over the place. And um, we're just, you know, very into our manatees. They're beautiful, beautiful, majestic, serene creatures. This guy obviously um, takes issue with that. He doesn't give a damn about the manatees. He doesn't care how beautiful they are. He doesn't care what a treasure they are to see when you're swimming, you know, on the beach and and, and this big, gorgeous but uh, gentle animals just kind of floating and meandering by. They are absolutely delightful creatures. Yet this guy, who I saw the other day, it was just, you know took issue with the fact that we like to protect our manatees. He doesn't give a damn about them. And uh, I'll bet you he'll be one of those that uh, thinks that this this cage-free eggs thing is is a load of crap. Bottom line is we're not talking legislation, at least not right now. I'm just talking about making awareness so more people will make the choice to purchase cage-free eggs. So let's let's move on to the next email question that was sent in by Donna of Vero Beach, Florida. Semi-local listener. That's about 40-minute drive south of us. Not the Space Coast, but a fellow Floridian. She wrote this. My daughter brought home a kitten that she found in the dumpster about two weeks ago. The kitten is doing fine, but now both of our other cats are very congested and sneezing with very irritated eyes. What could this be? Should I take her to the vet? Um, Or should I take them to the vet? Sorry. Uh, Pretty obvious to me what's going on here. It might strike uh, Donna as a little bizarre because you know you got this kitten who was introduced into the house kitten's fine but uh you know your 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 two resident cats are a mess um i believe your two resident cats have become infected with herpes virus whenever we see um upper respiratory disease so there's congestion sneezing coughing uh and it also involves the eyes so there's you know runny eyes irritated eyes sometimes goopy eyes sometimes they can actually even form ulcers on their corneas um so we have upper respiratory we have uh, likely conjunctivitis, it's called, of the eyes. Uh, the, the combination uh, smells of herpes virus because 
herpes virus specifically targets the upper respiratory system and the eyes. Now, sometimes it presents as just eyes. Sometimes it's just upper respiratory. Often it is both. So um, that's what comes to mind immediately. Now, getting to your question, uh, what could, or should I take them to the vet? Um, that depends. <laughs> and and that really comes down to uh, you didn't really provide uh, any more history in terms of how they're doing currently. Are they still eating? Are they having trouble breathing? Because in the absence of all those things, if they're just snotty nose, sneezing, uh, runny, irritated eyes, you don't necessarily need to take them to the vet because there's, there's not a lot we can do in terms of um, making it so that uh, the, 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 we're going to hasten the eradication of the virus. Uh, it's something that the patient's own immune system has to step up and do. As you know, we we really don't have a good ability to kill viruses, and herpes is one of those that is especially annoying because it integrates itself in the host DNA, and basically you keep that virus forever. Um, what, what happens with the herpes virus is the first outbreak is the worst. Some of them can get really sick. Some of these felines come in with temperatures of 104, 104 and a half. Um, they're not eating. Sometimes we can even see secondary pneumonia. Uh, the Generally, the way I treat these guys is I will support them with an antibiotic and some antibacterial eye drops. The reason we'll do a systemic antibiotic is, is lots of times there is secondary bacterial involvement that sort of complicates the issue. So when we give them uh, an, a good upper respiratory type antibiotic, uh, we're, we're, we're often making the impact of the disease a lot less, and we enable the patient to have less stress and, and therefore step up and get this thing under wraps. So I did talk about it. it is something that they keep for life. The, the interesting thing about this particular virus in cats, though, in most cases, uh, you may see one or two more outbreaks in the future, um, and then generally you don't see them anymore. In most cases, you know, you have the one time, perhaps the second or third, but uh, the outbreaks become fewer and far between. Each, each future outbreak is less severe because the patient develops uh, an immunity to the, to, to the virus, and uh, eventually this should be a problem that you don't have to deal with. But whether or not they go to the vet really depends on are they eating and drinking, um, because if they're not, then they, they, they need to go to the vet, uh, because cats can get very sick from not eating, from, from not drinking. They, they can dehydrate, which is going to exacerbate their disease, uh, increase their chances that they could get something like a pneumonia. So eating and drinking is a really important thing. Um, and, you know, you want to make sure that you don't see uh, the eyes, like, you know, glued shut or or spasm down like they're blinking because that can indicate that there's ulcers. Ulcers do need to be treated. But if just kind of snotty nose, runny eyes, um, you know, you just let them kind of tough it out in a lot of cases. It should run its course in about 14 to 21 days. Um, one thing you can do for these kitties to strengthen their immunity to the herpes virus is to supplement their diet with L-lysine. L-lysine can be purchased uh, for felines in a paste form or in little treat forms for ease of administration. Um, what I would do is just Google feline uh, L-lysine. Uh, the dose for cats uh, up to five pounds is 250 milligrams per day. Uh, cats over five pounds, we want to do 500 milligrams per day by mouth. And that will just help them to modulate their immune system so they can uh, put up a better fight against uh, the herpes virus, get it under control. Um, that kitten probably has already been ex exposed to it. Her disease ran its course and, you know, the fact that she's not sick shows me that she probably has already sort of moved on to that point where she shouldn't have significant future problems. Uh, next question was submitted by Denise from Ithaca, New York. 
Her question is as follows. My dog is starting to get a little stiff in the limbs, now eight years old. It is really not that bad, mostly when he gets up from laying down for a long period of time. My sister recommended I start my dog on a joint health vitamin, but there are so many to choose from. Is there one particular joint supplement that you like? Uh, very good question. Um, first off, the, 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 the mild stiffness that they're experiencing after laying down for long periods of time, that is arthritis, most likely. So we're on the right track here already by uh, you know considering a good joint health vitamin. What I will tell you is in the world of uh, canine and feline or just, let's say, generally pet-based uh, vitamins or supplements, there, there's very, very poor regulation of that industry. Uh, the FDA is not involved. The USDA is not involved. Um, so they basically can put whatever they, the companies that make them could, could claim whatever they want to claim is in those uh, joint health vitamins, and they don't necessarily have to be absorbable by the gut, you know, engineered into a form where they can actually be absorbed properly in the canine and feline uh, gut. Their, their GI systems are different from ours. Uh, and they, they can't necessarily absorb the same things that we can optimally. The other thing, too, is they, they could just ignore having any of those ingredients in there, you know, period, anyway. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you want to make sure you're getting them from a reputable company, a company that has uh, a reputation to protect because they're involved uh, in the pharmaceutical, veterinary pharmaceutical industry, and uh, they don't want to be found to have a bogus product. That all said, my favorite product is a product known as Dasuquin. Uh, it's spelled D as in dog, A-S-U-Q-U-I-N, Dasuquin. Um, it's made by a company called Nutramax. It is a very reputable com company, both in the human and veterinary uh, supplement side. Um, I actually take the human equivalent, which is called Cosamin. I do not suggest you go down to Walgreens or Walmart or wherever it is you get your get your supplements or, or you know the local uh, uh, vitamin store. I do not suggest you go down and buy Cosimin and give it to your dog. The dosing is different. The absorptive properties are different. My suggestion would be to call your vet, purchase some Dasaquin. I believe you could probably also find it online. Um, so uh, I, I love the Cosimin for myself. I'm a uh, a triathlon, competitive triathlete. Uh, it's one of my hobbies, and of course, with that comes a certain amount of joint pain. I find that I minimize the joint pain significantly since I've been on Cosimin. Um, again, that is the human equivalent product uh, made by the company that makes Dasaquin. Uh, to, it's to the point that I used to wear an ankle brace, a knee brace, and um, I don't wear them anymore because I don't have the, the, the chronic pain uh, from all the running and biking and swimming that I do. And, and I got to tell you, I think the stuff is fantastic. So Dasaquin is my product. Denise from Ithaca, New York, thank you for your comment. Um, and our final email question of the night comes uh, from Nicole of Merrick, New York. Her question is uh, very relevant. And, and for those of you who have dogs that uh, suffer from skin allergies, really listen to this one. My dog has been on Atopica to control his allergies for the past two years. It is the only thing that has worked for him, but horribly expensive to begin with. It has gone up 30% higher in price. This is absolutely true. I simply cannot afford this anymore with this ungodly price hike. Is there any other alternative treatment you suggest to control his skin allergies? Okay. Big problem we have. Atopic is a wonderful, wonderful uh, product for controlling skin allergies. It works with the effectiveness of cortisone without all the side effects. I love the medication. I hate the price. Um, it, it's absolutely ridiculously priced. 
Um, it's still on patent, so we, we really only have the ability to get this uh, medication in this form from a company called Novartis. And Novartis has just jacked up the price 30%. And, and Nicole, you're not the only one complaining. I have had uh, client after client call me on the phone and tell me, listen, I just can't afford this anymore. What can we do? And uh, basically, I've had what's going to happen is I have a lot of well-controlled skin allergy patients that are just uh, we're going to start struggling again, Uh, and I don't blame these people. Here's a perfect example: Uh, I talked to a lady earlier today, a wonderful client of mine. She's got this great big pit bull. He's 90 pounds, so you know he's got a pretty pretty high dose. And the higher the dose, of course, the more expensive the product. Well, she was already paying $333 a month to keep her dog on this product. Um, It's controlled his uh, skin allergies wonderfully. He has had no side effects from the drug, and we're just thrilled with it. But now she calls me up, and she says, you know, you know I'll do anything for my dog, and this lady would. She's fantastic. Or both she and her husband. Um, and she told me it, it's now $433 a month, and, and that's what I'm going to have to pay for this medication. She's like, Doc, that's a car payment. I said, you know what, um, Ms. So-and-so, I don't, I don't use names on the air uh, when I'm when – I'm, uh, Speaking under conditions and anonymity, um, the I told her I, I would not um, suggest anyone pay that kind of money unless you are filthy rich uh, and can afford it, and that, that, that even that amount of money is a penalty. Fine, continue to pay it. But I think it's a travesty what this company's doing. There's no way the production cost went up an additional thirty percent. Um, I, 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 I think they're gouging the pet owning public, and here's why I think they are. Novartis also makes a. Uh, uh, a, a combination of heartworm flea product called Sentinel. And, it, you know, there's so many new products out there that are actually so much better than Sentinel. Sentinel's not that great anyway. It, uh, it gets heartworms really nicely, but it doesn't do, you know, it, it's very poor for, for flea prevention, especially here in Florida where we have a year-round flea, uh, flea nuisance. Um, so it, it's a fairly lousy product as far as I'm concerned. Um, and they've jacked up that price. Uh, as well for Sentinel, and and basically I'm going to stop carrying it. Um, and uh, so back to your original question: Are there any alternatives? My suggestion would be this, Nicole. Um, and this was my suggestion for this particular lady as well. Uh, you you obviously been down a lot of a lot of roads with the skin allergy. You had mentioned that the only thing that has worked is Atopicus. You've you basically probably tried everything else. Um, one thing that's going to consistently work is is, is a cortisone type medication. We call them corticosteroids. With them comes a certain degree of of potential side effects that uh, can, can really just uh, compromise the dog's health over time. Um, but one option that I that I have liked is going with a medication called Temerol P. Temerol P is an antihistamine primarily. Now antihistamines we don't go with them uh, very often for severe skin allergy cases because they just fall short. They don't have uh, the, the same uh, uh, consistent. Uh, anti-allergy effect that they do in people. And generally speaking, if we can go there and control a case of mild to moderate allergies with something like Benadryl, an over-the-counter antihistamine, I'm all for it. But lots of times it's just not good enough and they're still suffering despite treating with it. Um, What Temeril P does is it's primarily antihistamine, so it's trimeprazine is the antihistamine in that, very similar to diphenhydramine, which is the active ingredient in Benadryl. However, the difference between Temeril P and Benadryl is that you have the antihistamine, but there is a small amount of corticosteroid in it called prednisolone. So it's a combination product. It's an all-in-one pill that has primarily antihistamine, a little bit of corticosteroid. And what that corticosteroid does is it, it really enhances the benefit of the antihistamine, and it synergizes with the antihistamine in the Temeril P. And what you find is that it's a product that's going to work a lot better. So literally, it is 
a antihistamine on steroids. So what you effectively do is make an antihistamine more effective. We, we're not concerned about adverse health effects with antihistamines. They're nominal uh, to, to, to virtually non-existent. Uh, we do have that little bit of corticosteroid that does still have the potential to cause uh, some side effects, particularly the level of liver. But by combining with an antihistamine, we cut that uh, dose of corticosteroid that we would be using if we were using a corticosteroid by itself. We cut that dose by 75%. So you're making it a much, uh, much safer product. The other benefit, though, is that you know we, we we don't just simply put your dog on it and hope that there's no side effects. No, we we do uh, uh, every six months monitoring blood work to make sure there's no issues. And probably the majority of the time, I, I don't see any adverse issues. And if there are adverse issues, you address them. So liver enzymes start to creep up, for example. Well, you know we can't have the dog tearing himself to pieces um, because of a skin allergy out of control because we have to take him off the temporal pee. But perhaps we can add uh, denamarin, which is a really nice uh, liver a liver protectant supplement. Uh, it's really a nice uh, pr promoter of liver health and liver regeneration. Lots of times I can minimize the uh, adverse liver uh, um, changes that I see in the blood work with simply you know, just adding a second supplement, which would still be a heck of a – when you factor in the cost of the Temeral P, the, the cost of uh, potentially a, a liver health supplement if that problem were to arise down the road, and twice yearly blood work, still the cost is astronomically less than it would be to keep on uh, with Atopica. Uh, for this particular lady, for example, that I had talked about earlier, $433 a month um, is what she would end up having to pay for her dog, whereas keeping a dog on Temeral P costs, you know, 20-some dollars a month uh, on average, and the blood work, uh, you're, you're pretty much investing $250 a year to, to, to monitor that blood work. So, um, it's a much lower cost. Um, it's effective. Is it without potential problems? No, it's not. Uh, but that would be a route I would discuss with your veterinarian because uh, it's one that I've come to really like. And uh, as, as far as moving forward, I, I'm, gonna, I'm sure I'm going to find myself doing that a lot more given uh, the new costs associated with this ridiculously priced medication. So that answers that. Uh, a little bit of a quiet night tonight. Uh, no one on the chat. And uh, I do know we have a bunch of live listeners I guess you're just kind of taking it all in, and that's wonderful. We like you to listen. Um, probably we're, we're not having a lot of traffic today as far as the chat room or the, the phone lines uh, because we are on a day that we don't typically uh, air. But uh, starting next week, we're going to go back to our normal hours um, and our normal day, which is 9, 9 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Wednesday evenings. I'm going to uh, be going back uh, to more to veterinary-related uh, business. Uh, next week, the more common stuff that uh, we're, you know, we address uh, regarding dogs and cats, and uh, so we'll be doing some more mainstream stuff. As far as what the story is going to be, I don't know what it is yet. Um, you know, we, we uh, I'm, the I'm a member of the Veterinary News Network. It's sort of like the Associated Press of Veterinary Medicine, and they feed us news stories. So we're going to sift through those and and get up the next topic for you as soon as we find something that's nice and interesting for us to talk about. Thank you very much for listening, and I appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.